Joseph D'Angelo is facing 13 homicide charges and 13 charges of kidnap with intent to rob in connection with the Golden State Killer crime spree. While law enforcement believes him to be responsible for the many rapes attributed to the East Area Rapist Spree, due to the statute of limitations, they cannot file rape charges. At the time of this recording, Joseph D'Angelo has not yet entered a plea and is awaiting trial. This case is why we lock our doors at night. Attacked all over California. The community was taken hostage. Brutal homicides. One of the most prolific serial killers in the history of this state, if not in this nation. campaign to help identify the Golden State Killer. In the aftermath of the arrest of Joseph James D'Angelo as the suspected Golden State Killer, there have been many cold cases mentioned as possibly being related to this crime spree. Tulare County has two homicide cases that have been speculated as being the Visalia Ransacker for years now, and both have received a lot of attention lately the Jennifer Armour and Donna Richmond murders. 15-year-old Jennifer Armour disappeared on November 15, 1974, while hitchhiking to a high school football game. Her body was discovered days later in an irrigation canal. Her case remains open and unsolved. 14-year-old Donna Jo Richmond disappeared on December 26, 1975, while riding her bike to her house near Exeter. Oscar Clifton was arrested, convicted of her murder, and sentenced to life in prison where he died in 2013. He always maintained his innocence. We're exploring both fascinating stories with Sun Gazette publisher Reggie Ellis and editor-in-chief Paul Myers, and Unmasking a Killer supervising producer Todd Lindsay. We break down the evidence in each case as it relates to Visalia Ransacker suspect Joseph James D'Angelo's alleged criminal timeline, and discuss whether either homicide should be attributed to the Golden State Killer. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance, an emergency repair, or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Sun Gazette publisher Reggie Ellis and editor-in-chief Paul Myers join us again to share what they've uncovered about the Donna Richmond and Jennifer Armour murder cases. Nice to have you guys back. Um, let's start with Jennifer Armour. Can you quickly tell us that story? The Jennifer Armour case is you, you have uh, a young Visalia girl who uh, goes missing, and they find her body in um, one of our major irrigation canals between Exeter and Woodlake. And, you know, her hands are tied with her own bra. Uh, she's naked otherwise. But unfortunately, she's in the water, and she's in the water for, I think, about 48 hours. So there isn't a lot of evidence on her crime when by the time that they find her. This case doesn't get a lot of attention in Exeter again because it's a Visalia missing persons case. And so they kind of treat it as a Visalia Sheriff's Department case, and Exeter doesn't really get involved in it. But last year, the Tulare County Sheriff's Department, uh, they have a cold case unit, and they 
started reopening this case and they made an announcement last year that they they do believe that there's a possibility uh, that D'Angelo did commit that crime and that he has been added to their list of suspects for the first time last year. Yeah, it's a very old case, right? She um, went missing, I believe it's 74. Yes. And yes. she was hitchhiking uh, solo on her way to a local football game. And like you said, all the forensic evidence has pretty much been washed away. We covered this story briefly in a digital episode that we did during the original episodes of Unmasking a Killer. And at that time, Tulare County Sheriff's Department mentioned that they believe they have, you know, suspects, but, you know, it was hard to prove because there was no forensic evidence. It is interesting that now they've added D'Angelo to that list of suspects. But they had also asked for information in regards to this case on Oscar Clifton, which brings us to the Donna Richmond case. So, Paul, why don't you tell us about Donna Richmond? Well, real quick before we get in that, um, one of the other suspects in the Armour case is Oscar Clifton, who then is the primary suspect, if you will, not suspect, convicted. Yeah. In, uh, convicted in killer case. the Donna Joe right. Richmond case. So Donna Richmond was 16 years old. She was murdered the day after Christmas in 1975. What the case explains is that she was riding home on her bike from a friend's house in Exeter, maybe on the outskirts at, the, at that time. It was at that time. Yeah. And Oscar Clifton and his white Ford pickup truck saw her riding her bike and uh, kidnapped her, took her to an orange grove, stripped her of her clothes, you know, bludgeoned her, choked her and, and stabbed her 17 times and uh, attempted to rape her. Um, there wasn't any evidence of penetration in the autopsy, but what prosecutors were able to find was semen on her pubic hair, which was part of the key evidence uh, later on in 2011 and, and now uh, after appeals and review. she Her body was left face down in this orange grove for, I think, two days until somebody came by and, and found her. I think that later on that day, uh, Oscar Clifton was arrested. And uh, the next and then the following year, he was convicted. A, a conviction that he maintained that he was innocent up until the day he died in prison, right? Yes, he did. He did. There were several, like I said, numerous there were several appeals, appeals over the course of the, his uh, prison term. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many interesting aspects surrounding not just the investigation and the evidence, but also the prosecution of the case. You know, that said, the Tulare County DA's office put out a press release this month stating their conviction review unit re-examined the case and that they concluded that D'Angelo was cleared by DNA and that Oscar Clifton was rightfully convicted. What do you think about that? Uh, that that's right. There was really one Oscar Clifton supporter who said that this is totally phony. Uh, you guys aren't looking at the at all the facts of the case. There's uh, a conspiracy theory that the district attorney's office, his defense attorney, and the sheriff's department all co and community members all colluded to get Oscar Clifton convicted. Wow. Convicted back in the day? Or are we talking about there's a conspiracy theory why now they're sticking to the Oscar Clifton verdict? Back in the day, right. the, the review units, they don't really look at the physical evidence that that remains in 2018. What they do, the DA's conviction review unit, they look at the analysis of the evidence. And so when 
D'Angelo's DNA became available, they tested it against the DNA that was available from the pubic hair on Donna Richmond. Well, they compared it to the analysis that was done on that. Exactly. They didn't actually retest the Not, not the done DNA, themselves. Right. And right. Uh, they found that out of the three DNA helix locations that was the partial profile that matched Oscar Clifton, only two of those three locations on the helix itself matched D'Angelo and you have to have all three. You, you have to have three to be a suspect. Yeah, you can't you can't have two. Now there is a, a significant group of people who believe Oscar Clifton to be wrongfully convicted. And they kind of wrote a statement to the DA's report that that questioned a lot of things, including saying that there was no semen found and that the review unit was basing this on faulty tests done back in the day. Um, has your research shown anything going either direction in this argument? Our research has gone to kind of prove the DA's office right in this case. And what we had found, we've been in contact with other uh, folks who have said that, you know, the the partial DNA profile was illegitimate and, and so on and so forth and other types of investigative techniques. You know, as as much as I'd like to look into that as a journalist, uh, the problem is that we don't have evidence that any of that is true. And when we've asked them for evidence to prove that, they haven't provided anything either. And we've gone right. to the courthouse here in Tulare County to ask for all the documents pertaining to Oscar Clifton uh, that we could get our hands on. And quite frankly, they're just not available. Well, they're not, they don't exist anymore. <laughs> they've been purged. And when I say that, I mean they've been <laughs> purged be for space reasons. But another key point to kind of the Clifton supporters, I mean, not that I'm not sympathetic to people thinking that a family member or a friend was wrongfully convicted, but all of the courts that Clifton appealed to all turned down the appeal. They wouldn't even take up the case. And in some cases, the judges in those cases said, if we take up this new evidence you're presenting, it's going to look even worse for Oscar Clifton. So there's no reason for us to reopen this case and try it on appeal. So in your estimation, based on, you know, what you know of both of these cases, do you feel either are connected to the ransacker and potentially Joe D'Angelo? I'm staying on the sidelines for the Jennifer Armour case. However, the Donna Joe Richmond case, I am I am convinced that it was Oscar Clifton until there's new evidence to say that it's not, because nothing in that case speaks to any MO of Joseph D'Angelo, because in this case, when the when Oscar Clifton is driving back, he has Donna Joe's clothes in his in his truck and he's throwing them out the window uh, on his way home. You know, he left the body where people could find it. There's nothing in this case that makes me think that it was D'Angelo. Well, and the M.O. in the Richmond case seems very hectic and scattered and not kind of the strategic uh, GSK type of murder. And then in the, in the Jennifer Armour case, I think that it's easy to say, it's easy to want to blame the Golden State Killer on every unsolved crime in your community, right? If you're one of these right. communities that has been affected by this person and fits in the timeline, you just want to say like, oh, well, it's probably the GSK. Like, well, okay, we can all say that, but that's still only one guy. And so the chances of that one guy being responsible for you know, hundreds more cases is unlikely at best. 
Yeah. And I'd also like to point out that in our conversation with Paul Holes, he he very much was like, look, for years, for those 40 years, investigators, at least he says for the last 20 of those 40 years, and he was part of this team, the team was looking for other cases that could be connected because they thought, look, if we can find another case that we can link, maybe he made a mistake in that case that allows us to identify him. Right. right. So so investigators looked for a long time to find other cases that fit this profile, that fit this pattern, that fit the details of the Golden State Killer. And. And, you know, they connected what they could and and that's all they that they have. So there's always a chance, right, that there's another case out there that somehow makes it onto the Golden State Killers list. But I think at this point, law enforcement feels like they most likely have them. Yeah. And I would say, you know, in the Jennifer Omar case, I don't see anything that says it it absolutely wasn't D'Angelo. So I think that that he is a very viable suspect in that case. In the sense that even if it doesn't match the M.O. completely, there may have been some sort of evolution going on with D'Angelo at that time. And I think if there wasn't so much evidence against Oscar Clifton, you could kind of make that same case in the Donna Richmond case, too, that maybe he was figuring out, you know, what he wanted to do as a serial killer, for lack of a better term. So I, I wouldn't rule him out for the Jennifer Armour case. But again, it's so easy to kind of point the finger and say, well, that one was GSK and that one was GSK and that one was GSK. I mean, it's probably not. Yeah, I, I th- see. It's hard for me to make the jump on Armour simply because it's, you know, it's first year of kind of the ransackings. Again, if Joe D'Angelo was the ransacker, you have that. And then you look at the East Area Rapist and he's really building himself up to get you know, more violent and stronger. And and then even, you know, the first murders in Goleta, um, he wasn't able to go through with the sexual assault. Like, he, he ended up just killing them. And, right. you know, it's not really until you get to 1980 with the Smiths that you're like, okay, this is, you know, he's able to fully execute, you know, a fantasy, you know, as the Golden State Killer, you kind of, you know, that was kind of the full circle thing. So to almost have, you know, what, six years earlier... To be able to, so Jennifer, are more murder. It's like, you know, you're kidnapping someone, you're putting them in your car, you're taking them somewhere. Like, there's a lot of risk every step of the way. And then to almost like, I guess, lose that that excitement and, and to have to build yourself back up to having the, I don't know, the courage or the whatever it takes to then commit those crimes again. I don't know. I'm, I'm having a little harder time seeing him jump to Armour and then kind of go back in time. So I've told Reggie this on numerous occasions now, and I'll repeat it, is the only thing that cast doubt in my mind that he would have start he would have started murdering while he was in Exeter is that I don't know what his intentions were with Beth Snelling. So when he was taking Beth Snelling out of her out of her home and con- and was confronted by Claude Snelling, I don't know where he was taking her to. So I have a theory on that. Okay, it's <laughs> a good theory. Okay, so. Okay, bear with me here. I don't think, and again, I go against a lot of law enforcement on this, so, you know, we're all just theorizing here, because until someone speaks, you know, we would never know. But in my mind, he'd been at the Snelling house several times, and I don't think the ransacker again committed most of the burglaries when no one was home, right? So I think he'd been at the Snellings a few times, and he really, I think, worked himself up to being in her room and just watching her sleep, to be in the house while people were in the house. And I think what happened was he was probably there 
as I know when I go sneak in on my kids at night, you know, they kind of move and you're like, oh, crap, I just woke them up. <laughs> and and it turns out, no, they didn't. But, you know, for a moment, you're like, oh, don't move. Don't make a noise. We don't want to wake them up in the middle of the night. And I think he panicked and probably put his hand over her mouth thinking, oh, man, if she just starts screaming, I'm screwed. And so now all of a sudden, because the hand goes over her mouth, she does wake up and is like, oh, my God, here's a masked man with a hand over my mouth. And now he's like, what do I do? <laughs> I'm standing in the middle of this house with my hand over her mouth. I got to take her outside. If I let go of my hand and run, she starts screaming and I don't know if I can get out. So I think he took her out as a way out as a hostage, somewhat speaking, right? And I think in the noise that was made, obviously the father wakes up, confronts at the door, and he has no choice at that moment, um, you know, to to shoot. And um, we know either from Claude Snelling as well as the majorities that he doesn't mind shooting in self-defense at this point, mm-hmm. which is very different than a sexually motivated murder. So I agree with you because I don't it makes zero sense to like go and take this girl. He didn't have a car ready. He didn't he got there on a bicycle. Like, where's he going to take her? I just don't think he was planning on taking her. Yeah, I, I guess I would say that I find it hard to believe that someone who had been so strategic before and after would have made that kind of miscalculation. But I think you're right. I think maybe there was an evolution there, whereas the first time he entered an occupied home or uh, heavily, I mean, everybody was home. It wasn't just, right. it was the mother and the father and the daughter. And I mean, the whole, it was a house full of people. Yep. And I think that point about kind of his and evolution. Again, but think about it too. If if you're doing, if he was successful with Jennifer or more, right? And he was able to do that and not be caught. Why would you go into Beth Snelling's house in the middle of the night when you have a whole family there? Why not just wait to pick up another girl on the way home? Exactly. Yeah. And, and another thing I would say is the one thing that all the GSK crimes have in common, whether they're uh, ransacking or whatever, is that they all center around homes. So attacking two girls in the middle of nowhere out in the countryside doesn't match the mo in any way shape or form anybody if if the gsk killed someone outside of their home it's because he ran into them leaving a home right like the majorities yes yeah so everything is centered around neighborhoods and being in a home and it's all about you know, a a, a dwelling. And so attacking these people out in an orange grove just doesn't make any sort of sense to me when it comes to D'Angelo. Right. And so the mystery continues. And now we'll never know. And now we'll never know. Well, maybe. Do you think D'Angelo will ever talk? No. I don't know why he would. I I think that if his attorney is smart, his attorney would say, be quiet forever. Well, and this is something, an observation. I think this is what makes the GSK so unique is that he is not the typical media hound that other serial killers are. Right. I mean, he, if anything, is the most secretive, private, and reclusive serial killer that we've ever come across because generally they want some kind of credit. After they've been caught, they want to tell everyone about what they did. Yeah, there's no sense that he he wants to have that recognition to be thought of in the same pantheon as Zodiac and everybody. He just exactly. he doesn't want anybody to know. No, he is all about self-preservation. Like everything he does is about getting away with it and then enjoying the fact that he got away with it. Not taking credit, but getting away with it. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, profilers also describe him as arrogant. And I and I think if you're you're very arrogant, like haha, I was able to get away with this to now be caught. I mean, I think it's harder to then go be like, ah, you got me. You know, I, I think at the, at a certain point, you're like, well, if I don't say anything, you know, because technically there still be a doubt. Right. And I guess technically, if he dies in jail before he's convicted, he's technically not the Golden State Killer. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and the, you know, it, it, the fact that he doesn't want a lot of attention kind of speaks to how disciplined he is. Because I think that it takes a lot of discipline in your mind to say, I did this, nobody's going to know, and I need to be okay with that. Paul, Reggie, thank you guys both so much. This was super um, enlightening, and um, thank you for sharing everything you know. Yeah, great having you. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having us on. Yeah, we, we really appreciate your time. Unmasking a Killer supervising producer Todd Lindsay has also researched the Jennifer R. Moore and Donna Richmond homicides extensively with us, and he shares his thoughts about whether either could be the work of the Golden State Killer. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Todd Lindsay is back with us to talk about the Armour Richmond cases and what he knows about both. So Jennifer Armour disappeared in Visalia on November 15th, 1974. She was last seen hitchhiking to a high school football game, disappeared, and was found nine days later in a waterway. In a canal, in a canal. Uh, irrigation canal in an orange grove uh, right outside of town. Right. And then there's also the case of uh, Donna Jo Richmond, who was found murdered December 26, 1975, right. also in an orange grove. Also in an orange grove. And what did we decide the distance between... I, I don't want to be quoted on this, but it's, uh, <laughs> I don't know, somewhere between one and two miles. I think like, it was a little over a mile. I yeah, was going to say a mile and a half, so yeah. a, a little over a mile. So pretty close, but not the but it, same ground. I wouldn't say that it points to the same person being responsible because they're far enough apart where it could have been a coincidence. Correct. And and there's some there's a big street that kind of separates the, there the is. two areas. Yeah. So the way that we're talking about Exeter and Visalia being so close and so isolated, we can't really connect these two in any other sense than they were both found in an orange grove. In an orange grove and relatively close to each other, but not the same location. So we had done an extra kind of webisode on the Jennifer R. Moore case as part of our first five episodes. And when we spoke to the Tulare County Sheriff's Department, because the body was found in um, not Visalia proper in Tulare County. So the sheriff's department. Outside of the city limits, right. Right. So the sheriff's department is the agency that is in charge of that case. They had mentioned that there were some suspects, but no one could ever prove someone had been put through a lie detector test and didn't pass. Didn't and, pass. and so they were kind of waiting to like, look, this is only going to get solved until someone cracks because they right. believe they kind of have their group of suspects, but then not. And so 
the Donna Jo Richmond case, you know, she was on her way home from a, a friend's house and on her, bike. on her bike and then didn't come home, was later found in Orange Grove. Bike in one area. She was heavily beaten and stabbed. Right? right. But remember, her bike and her books were found dumped in what's described as behind her house. Mm. So it's thought that the killer left her stuff there by her house. Right. Where she was found is somewhat the same area of town as to where she lived. No? I don't think so, but it's not far. It's, it's closer than, let's say, Visalia. Right. Right. She was, she was already closer to home than she was right. from her where she Her body was left. found in the Orange Grove, as we mentioned. Uh, her house was not too far away. But it, I always, and you right. did too, found it strange that the killer took her possessions and, and dumped them near her house, right. which is strange. Jennifer Armour is still a cold case. Donna Jo Richmond, a man named Oscar Clifton, was charged and convicted and sent to prison for her murder. He has since died in prison. Up until his death, he always proclaimed innocence. His family believes he's innocent. There are some lawyers out there who are working very hard on his estate's behalf to try and prove his innocence. The point being that with both the Jennifer Armour and the Donna Richmond being you know, one cold case and one questionable conviction, conviction case yes. at the time that D'Angelo was there. Does it surprise you that people think that they're connected? No, I thought they were connected when I first read about it. it just seems logical. And now that we know more about the serial killers and how they operate, we know that they can dump uh, several victims in one area because that's where they feel comfortable. So it made sense. And we always thought that the girls had been found much closer than they actually were. So once we kind of learned the real information, I could now see that it, they definitely could have been done by separate people. They didn't have to be the same guy uh, who murdered both the young women. So having really looked into both cases, and, and we did, and we've talked to a lot of people and did like rabbit hole deep dives into each of their arguments. Right. Where do you stand on both of those cases now? <sighs> yeah, it's, you know... I really haven't been convinced either way. Now, there's a lot of evidence against Clifton, but it's a lot of it is circumstantial. All right. of it is, right? Yeah. There's no blood test or DNA test that connects him to that murder. You know, it, there was a time when I really thought that D'Angelo had to be responsible for Richmond's murder, specifically. It just seemed like the timing, you know, it's um, a week or two after the shooting of uh, Sergeant McGowan. And it just seemed, and then it seemed to fit his pattern of trying to frame people or trying to throw the police off with leaving evidence at a scene that points in another direction. In this instance, uh, Clifton's address book was left with Donna's school books. So he became a suspect immediately. I think they arrested him the same day she was yeah, found. So it seemed to fit that pattern of leaving behind red herrings for the police to follow. Now I've, you know, they just released the results of a very partial DNA test. So, yeah. So what has just happened just a month ago is that the Tulare County District Attorney's Office had their conviction review unit review this conviction right. of Oscar Clifton. And in a very detailed account said, no, D'Angelo is definitely not responsible for the death of Donna Joe Richmond. Right. And we 100% believe that Oscar Clifton is and that it was a, a correct conviction mm -hmm. given the evidence and given what, you know, the jury has decided. Unless new information comes out, I think we have to go with that because they're right. I mean, that's where it points as of now. Yeah, I, th I think that the, 
The concern that people have on the opposite side of that argument is that part of the argument that the DA's office is making is this DNA. Mm -hmm. And the truth of the matter is, is that there's not much there. We don't know, you know, what the procedures were in the 70s when this all happened. Right. Is it really reliable? It's not like there's enough. If with the evidence that there is, you could never even take that DNA evidence to court today. You it, could not charge somebody with a uh, the not little enough. amount. There's just not enough. DNA. Yeah. So but D'Angelo doesn't match that tiny bit. piece of DNA and Oscar Clifton does. So um, that's where we are with that. I mean, there's yeah. really nothing else you can say it's about all we, it. It's all we may ever know. Right. Now, it doesn't say that Oscar Clifton was definitely guilty because I, I understand that a large percentage of the white male population in the United States would also match those few markers. But it doesn't exclude him. Right. And it does exclude D'Angelo. Right. I mean, I think you and I were both kind of surprised when we saw that. Uh, maybe me more than you, because I was always um, wondering if D'Angelo was responsible for that and had kind of, you know, you go over a lot of the information and you talk to different people. And I kind of had you know, said, oh, this has to be the ransacker, I should say. This has to be the work of the ransacker. But now I, I think the evidence is pointed that it, it doesn't have to be the ransacker. Um, I'm not saying it's definitively Oscar Clifton, but... It's not D'Angelo. Yeah, I, I think as a as a way to wrap it up for me, I think we're at a stalemate, and I right. don't I don't know if with everything that's currently out there, we can say one way or the other, either on Donna Joe Richmond, and frankly on the Jennifer Armore case. There's, I just there is nothing. We were told there's really nothing to test. Uh, her body was found in the canal, so it washed away a lot of the evidence. And as we pointed out in the webisode that we did on the case. The police there feel that it was a, a teen beer party gone wrong. Right. Now, it, you and I always thought it looked a little more sophisticated than that. Yeah. I mean, look, I don't know. I, I You know, we don't have access to all those files because right. it is currently an open case. You know, there's Freedom of Information Act only gets you so far. Right. Um, so we don't have that. If I had to bet, I don't know if Mr. D'Angelo is responsible for either of those. Simply, right. and I'm basing this purely on... You know, with him being charged within the ransacker and the East Area Rapist and the original Night Stalker crimes, you really do see that escalation. Right. And to throw Armour and Richmond in, it completely throws that off. I'm not saying it's not possible. Right. It, it we seems know it's out of possible. place. Yeah. Just goes to show you that uh, there's a lot of uh, crazy men. Murderers running around in the seventies. It was not. It was not a good time. <laughs> you have a small <laughs> town like this. Yeah. So now we're talking about two killers, the ransacker and Oscar Clifton, who was convicted of killing Donna Richmond. And that now maybe we're talking about a third person who. Unless killed... it really is a party gone wrong. Right. But even if it's a party gone wrong, somebody in that party right. killed her. Right. So now you have three murders in a tiny town in the in Bicelli in the seventies. As we've spoken about in the past, you had a multitude of serial killers working the California highways and freeways at that yeah. time. Um, it just seems like, and then, of course, Ted Bundy was uh, right above us in, in Washington and Oregon and Colorado murdering people. It, it just seemed like, for whatever reason, man, there was just an explosion of people being murdered, especially uh, hitchhikers. And raped and murdered. Well, There's a lot of rapists going on in Sacramento, even at the time of the East Area Rapists. Yes. Uh, the early bird rapist was another one. 
Yeah, people don't realize that the East Area Rapist wasn't the only rapist attacking Sacramento at that time, which is kind of crazy. Right. Well, that's the thing. You know, when you look at the 70s, it really makes you appreciate how far law enforcement has come today because you couldn't get away with that they stuff They really, today. yeah. I mean, with all the surveillance cameras, and we've talked about this and the technology that people have, it's much harder to get away with a series of crimes like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's always hard to maybe stop the first crime. But it's much easier to identify that person after that first crime. So you stop them from having this 10-year-long, you know, killing spree. And I think that law enforcement in general, not just in this state, but uh, in the United States, are catching these guys much sooner in the series and recognizing them for what they are, which helps them zero in on suspects. So, I, you know, obviously... With knowledge, they've learned to react to these things much better, and the technology helps them along in that. So it's, uh, as we've talked about, I mean, they're solving cases left and right now with the Jed Match uh, DNA genealogy and identifying murder victims. I just saw yesterday they identified a mother and a child that they had no idea who they were. And as soon as they identified them, they know who killed them. Right. You know, and he's in prison, by the way. So they knew where he was. <laughs> well, that's good. At least he wasn't out there uh, right. killing yeah. more people. Well, thank you so much. I, I can't believe the kind of rabbit holes we went down just on the Visalia theory alone right. and um, over the last couple of years. And bringing it full circle and kind of coming to this has been really cool. I'm just glad that uh, Visalia was included in the list of crimes that they're going to charge D'Angelo with. There were a lot of people victimized down there. Pat Mono has never forgotten about this. Mm -hmm. So it's great that people are going to have some sort of justice delivered after all these years. Not the least of which is Beth Snelling, who lost her father that night. And the entire Snelling family. I'm sure it's, it's been hard on them. You know, Claude Snelling's wife, I mean, his widow, she must have been horrible for her. And she passed before they arrested a suspect. So unfortunately, she never got to see that. But I hope Beth is uh, sleeping better at night now, knowing that somebody's in jail for the murder of her father. And, um, yeah, we can all sleep better at night. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Todd. Now that a suspect has been identified and arrested in the case of the Golden State Killer, it moves to the next phase, the trial. Sacramento County District Attorney Anne-Marie Schubert, who's spearheading the prosecution of this incredibly complicated and enormous case, joins us next week to speak to next steps in this process. And we'll welcome Sacramento Bee reporter Sam Stanton, who's been covering the Golden State Killer case and recently published a bombshell story about suspect Joseph James D'Angelo. This is not his first time behind bars. We'll hear what Sam discovered and what he's hearing about the upcoming trial. So listen and subscribe to the Unmasking a Killer podcast at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And for more on the Golden State Killer case, the complete Unmasking a Killer documentary series is available on demand at CNN Go. I'm Biagio Messina. And I'm Joe Finciun. Thanks for listening.